Hey, welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. It's a Thursday. I'm guest host Greg Brady. Happy to be here. We've had busy shows, lots of moving parts uh, this week. And of course, we talk about what transpired in the United States of America and D.C. specifically on Wednesday. U.S. Congress sealing Joe Biden's election victory overnight after a day of chaos in Washington. Global News journalist and anchor Farah Nasser joined the show to talk to us about that. What can Canadians learn from Thursday's events on Capitol Hill? We are not too far removed from it geographically, but are we ideologically? It's an important discussion, so we'll have it. Alan Carter as well joins me to discuss all the top stories here in Canada and the States, and we'll get to a little bit of what's going to transpire with schools in the province of Ontario with Alan as well. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The FBI tweeted this out, seeking to identify individuals instigating violence in Washington, D.C. We are accepting tips in digital media depicting rioting or violence in and around the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. If you have information and they have a website for you to visit, I'm like, where the hell should I start? Um, the president, his kid, his lawyer, where where do you want me to go? I, You know, I got names. We can go alphabetical if you want. But I do think social media will help uh, tremendously uh, track some people down. And the FBI did arrest more than 50 people yesterday. If you wondered, there was not a lot of coverage of that. I know it looked like everybody just rolled into the Capitol, took some pictures, smoked some cigars, stole some things, sat in desks and left and broke things up. Uh, there were 50-plus arrests, uh, and they weren't all after the curfew last night. Before we have uh, Farnasser on, I want to play you this clip from Draymond Green last night. NBA player has been very outspoken and uh, has been, you know, the NBA players were very instrumental in the summer about improving voter turnout in the black community for the presidential election and the Georgia Senate runoff. He had a post-game reaction. The Warriors played last night. He had a reaction to what transpired, and this is it. It just goes to show the police policing system was built against black people, you know, black and brown people. And that's the reason those reactions are different. That's the reason someone can walk or run or bust their way through or whatever into the speaker of the house office and put their feet on the desk. Like they're sitting at home on their couch, storming, you know, storming into a building and, and busting out windows and, carrying podiums and and all that other stuff. That's not a protest. That's a terrorist attack. And so uh, stop using the, 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 like, stop describing those people the same way you describe someone who just stand there and make a chant and say, we want justice, we want peace. Stop using the same word. It's disrespectful. It's ridiculous. Um, and it's shameful. Yeah, it's a lot of that. Uh, Draymond's got it right on the money. And again, Everybody views different things through different lenses. We all hope we can come to some common ground and go, hey, tell me what you see, because your experience might be different from mine. But I hope for even some listeners, they hear that from Draymond Green and they're like, that's not a lens I viewed it through yesterday with the police. But it's a factor right there. Uh, let's bring on uh, news anchor for Global News Toronto. You, know, you see her with Alan Carter every night at six o'clock. And she was in D.C. Uh, doing a stellar bang up job during a, what from what turned from election night and day into election week, given uh, the dispute and the late counting on some of the states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, et cetera, et cetera, in early November. Uh, Global's Far Nasser joins us now on the Bill Kelly show. Far, it's Greg Brady. Thanks very much for making the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Greg, for having me on. Well, I'm sure you, uh, you know, you've got, uh, yeah, 
uh, a newscast in which some nights it could probably be uh, two and a half, three hours. Uh, radio talk shows could be six hours, and you still wouldn't fit everything in. But what transpired yesterday certainly took center stage. What were your some some of your reactions during the uh, the late morning, early afternoon to what you were witnessing? Well, we threw our entire news lineup pretty much out the window because this was uh, this was a moment really to witness in history as we all as we all watched and many of us were glued to our, our television screens. It was hard to balance because there's there's so much happening right now, uh, of course in in this city, um, you know, and in, in, in this country too with COVID nineteen. But yeah, it was it was really. I mean, my first uh, reaction when I when I looked at it was through the lens that you know your 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 previous guest, you just you know this clip you just played um, of this gentleman, uh, you know it was really it really showed me uh, you know a double standard. Like if these were black and brown bodies, it would have been a different outcome. And um, you know to me, this was when I when I watched it, this was as much about Trump as it was about hate. And anger, and you know, though these people seemed, you know, joyful, elated, they were encouraging each other. Um, it was, it was really, you know, difficult to see those like Confederate flags. There was neo-Nazi flags. There was hate symbols in this crowd, and, and they were just on the steps uh, of Congress. And, and when we were there for the election, I mean, our hotel was right in front of there. I know that area very well. I walked it every day while we were mm-hmm. there, and um, there's you know, standing on the stage that uh, is going to be the inauguration stage in 13 days and, and with these, these hate symbols was horrible. You get such a sense of history in D.C., don't you, when you walk up and down the streets and, and you don't even think, well, you know, obviously it didn't look like this with in the days of George Washington or Thomas Jefferson, but it might have looked kind of like it in, you know, the days of John Kennedy or Richard Nixon. When you're there uh, and it's so visceral and impactful to cover a, a, a monumentally important federal uh, election. Um, what were some of the, you know, what were some of the emotions and, and reactions that you had? We, we didn't have mass protests in the street, but people were on edge. That's for sure. Oh, certainly. I mean, it was, there was, you know, uh, Greg, the one thing that I'll never forget is just how Washington, D.C. changed. Um, you know, we got there, I think, about a week before the election. We were in Pennsylvania before that. And, there was just this like palpable sense of anxiety, uh, fear, and you just you know even with people when they looked at you on the street, it was just this this real. I mean, with COVID mixed into all of this, but it was just really heavy. It was a really heavy, heavy feeling. And then um, you know after the election happened, and then the days following, still a lot of anxiety, a lot of questions, a lot of people wondering. And then when that happened, I think it was on a Saturday morning. Yeah, it was, and. When you know that the Joe Biden was was declared the victor, uh, it was like this dark cloud lifted. People were popping champagne. It was this real different. I mean, it's a very democratic city. They call it the San Francisco of the you know West Coast. But it, it was still it was just it was so fascinating to witness the mood in this city change so much. You know, and, and I'm literally just walking the streets. Like I'm not going to anybody's houses. We're not going anywhere to interview anyone because we can't. But uh, I'll never, I'll never forget that. And then watching yesterday, I mean, watching the mood there, the people who, who truly believe that they're saving the republic, uh, you know, patriots who, who, who really fed into this whole campaign that, you know, you can't trust the media, you can't trust the system, you can't trust institutions. And, uh, you know, a president saying that this election was a landslide in his favor. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable to think about. Uh, Far Na- Far is our guest from uh, Global News Toronto on the Bill Kelly Show, nine hundred CHML in Hamilton, nine eighty CFPL in London. I think there's two things. I know how seriously you take your work. I do mine as well. There's two things no one ever wants to be accused of: one, uh, not doing the work, not being prepared, and two, yes, giving false information out. Do you feel like we're? I, I still feel in Canada we're 
we're still a lot more ahead of the game. We still feel more reasonable. I mentioned in my in my show open, it's hard to believe we could have a federal election and someone could dispute the result. You might dispute the methodology leading up to it or where there's some dirty tricks involved and dirty campaigning. We'll always have those issues. But it just feels like this is a bridge we'll never cross. Do you do you have that same confidence um, in Canada? <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I hope so. I really hope so, because it does feel different. I mean, even when you look at the media in the States, uh, I, I was very critical of it when I came back, because I spent, you know, again, we're not going and interviewing people because of COVID. So I was in my hotel room or in our bureau, just, uh, or, you know, looking at watching CNN, Fox, MSNBC, kind of just watching everything. And there's just, it's so polarized even there. And our media is certainly not, nowhere near that. Um, and I think that also, you know, leads to the problem down there in terms of what people believe and what, what they don't. Um, but I, I think that you know, what happens in the States, we know that, you know, there are things happen a little bit later here, right? We, we follow them in, in many ways. I, I really hope you're right that, that nothing like that could happen here. But we do have a lot of people who believe this, like, you know, QAnon conspiracy theory. We have a lot of false, a lot of misinformation. Um, you know, white supremacy is alive and well in Canada as well. So I think that there are still people who feel marginalized, who feel left out, and who are angry about it in this country. Whether we would go on Parliament Hill, no, probably, probably, probably would never see a scene like that. We hopefully won't. But but there is still anger here, and we can't forget about that. I mean, I was really struck by the um, you know Trump supporters, the caravan in in Toronto that we saw on yeah um, on University Avenue. I mean, this is it, people are, are feeling the same way here, and it's not even their country. Yeah, there's there's an image circulating this morning on Instagram of um, of Doug Ford's son-in-law wearing a, a Make America Great Again hat. Now, the video is from a long time ago. It's over a year ago. But nonetheless, um, that's going to affect people um, viscerally. It might even be something he gets asked about uh, in the next day or two. And, and, and w- when you bring up your D.C. experience, I think about that as well, how it is really, really difficult to, again, separate, um, you know, the, the real news from what what people are starting to imagine in their own eyes. And I mentioned it off the top as well. There's people that might have, you know, conservative values who look and say, I, I ha- there's nowhere else for me to go with a two party system, at least in Canada. We give you options here. We almost give you too many options to vote for. Mm-hmm. And you can waver between different parties. And, and uh, there's a lot of people that probably don't vote the party line year after year, decade after decade. Um, and there's parents and grandparents that don't. But in the States, it's it's probably so overdue for a third party to give people options to go to go up more up the middle, I suppose. Certainly. And, and, and there, there doesn't seem to be that middle, as I mentioned, like even with the media, even with the people that you talk to, they're just so entrenched in their sides and there's no trust. Like they're, they don't even, they don't even, there's no civility. There's no trust for each other. And it's just this, this wedge has just gotten so big, so big over the past four years, right? Like in a way that it hadn't before. I mean, we, there was, there was that, uh, there was, I'm sure, you know, comments that were made that were hidden, but it, it, everything's now to the surface. It's really boiled over. And m- my fear is, I mean, we have COVID-19. We know that, uh, you know, in terms of our economy, there are going to be repercussions and they're not felt right away as we've seen in previous recessions, like things happen over years. And, and, you know, we were, we were interviewing the food bank and they were saying, we're not even worried about this. You're worried about next year, the year after, you know? And so I think that we have to remember, there's a lot of people who are going to lose their jobs. There's a lot of people who are going to live in poverty, who are going to be upset. Um, And all these economic factors lead to this real need for change. And um, so I'm, I'm a little concerned about that here, obviously, and very much in the United States.
Yeah. I mean, last thing for you, I look and I say, you know, people probably wonder in your newscast, uh, I know with talk radio, people say, ah, you know, you do too many American stories, this and that. I I certainly think yesterday should be amplified because to me, if anything, it's a cautionary tale about about kind of where we don't want to go. You can be passionate about politics. You can have spirited debate. You can believe one thing and not the other. But what you don't want in Canada, honestly, and I think there's a lot of Western European countries that looked through that lens as well yesterday and said, wherever we get to however loud we want to shout at each other and and even when we're you know not necessarily civil we can't let that happen that can't be again a road we go down yeah certainly i mean i don't think we have a donald trump in the in the wings waiting here right i don't think that that's going to happen but we do have um you know media organizations we do have an appetite <clears throat> don't don't kid yourself that this is just an american an american issue and that's mm-hmm. why i think it was so important to cover this in the way that we did i mean some might criticize why you're you know your local news station why are you going but this is like you said this is a moment in history this is an unprecedented moment and this is our neighbor that is so close to us and we've seen the ripple effects of trump here um so of course it's important to know Global News Toronto tonight, uh, Far Nasser, Alan Carter as well. Uh, thank you very much for making the time. I know the uh, the D.C. experience really resonated with you and was impactful. Uh, you guys did such great work down there and, and did great work yesterday, too, as well, putting it all together for us. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Greg. Have a good day. You got it. Uh, Far Nasser from uh, Global News Toronto, which you can see uh, tonight at 6 o'clock. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I think as we're all, you know, coming to terms with what we saw yesterday in the United States of America, the U.S. and A, as Borat laughingly calls it, um, it's one of those scenarios where we don't know what's next. And given that we don't know what's next, there's a lot of trepidation. There's a lot of people. I, again, I, I think it's I, I'm struggling with why people think that was the end of something rather than the beginning. I thought about that yesterday. Like sometimes something flares up and you're like, OK, that's your best shot. That's the best you've got. Look pretty disorganized to me. But there is always that threat that something transpires within the next two weeks. And you got to be more ready for it than you were yesterday if you're the authorities. Again, we haven't heard from uh, those particular authorities. And, you know, we had the caller last hour say, well, who's surprised by this? You are surprised that a, you know, a guy in a hoodie and jeans uh, is able to sit where Mike Pence sits in the Senate. I mean, you are surprised at that. That was a shocking image. Okay. And I get it. They're surprising and shocking. And those are two different variable things sometimes. Um, there are people calling, lawmakers and obviously a major business group that leans heavily conservative, called for Vice President Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment, which would remove uh, Donald Trump's powers, and Pence becomes the de facto president. Now, with 14 days left, the 25th Amendment also requires two-thirds approval from Congress, which is not impossible to get, but it also requires two-thirds of the Senate. They could invoke the amendment, which would be bad press, is the best way I can put it for for Trump, but it has very little, you know, very little chance of uh, affecting real change and and them getting those votes, the Republicans to cross over. It's the great thing about the system. It always has been. And it's at times a preferable system to democracy to what we have, where you're told, hey, vote along party lines for this. There's no going any other way. You can't go against us. Democrats go against Democrats all the time. Republicans go against Republicans all the time. And isn't that what democracy is? Like what may be good for somebody in one state is not necessarily good for somebody in another. But there's a lot of masters to serve when you are a politician. Here we do things uh, just a little differently. And and I, again, sometimes I'm not sure 
that that system is preferable. The, the, the founding fathers wrote out the Constitution and the amendments have followed to prevent ultimate power from going to a president for a scenario like what the last four years have been. So that's one of those scenarios uh, that is, is really, <laughs> you know, difficult to fathom. Difficult to fathom that we got to where we ended up uh, uh, getting to. And I make that case about circular arguments. There's no doubt that it, it works on simpler people, that you say that something is true, they believe it, and then they're able, the politicians are able to say, well, we need to, we need to look into this. I mean, Ted Cruz was citing polls yesterday as a reason to question the outcome of the election. Well, polls think this. Well, that's great and everything, but polls are often infused with emotion. Polls are often infused by, you know, how you feel viscerally about something. Okay. So that's a different story altogether, altogether than, than, uh, than logic. Okay. And again, data that's being uh, involved at that particular moment. So, um, look, people don't like it when their candidate loses and their party loses, but, I worry about this effect. I've loved politics from an early age. And you know what? It's like a sporting event. You watch, you vote. Well, you can't vote when you're eight or nine years old, but you watch, you vote, and your candidate doesn't win, and you brush it off and go, wonder why this happened. Let's analyze this. And you try and do better the next time. It's just like sports in that capacity. But I worry that this has, you know, that that the waters have been poisoned and that every election in the U.S., is going to be questioned for maybe generations to come by the losing candidate. Let's face it, there were some Democrats that didn't feel Donald Trump was rightfully elected because of interference from Russia, from China, from... And at the end of the day, I'm sorry, you know, the rules are the rules. The the playing field is the playing field. And as long as no one voted illegally, you got to handle the result. And for the most part, Hillary Clinton herself did just that. We know that that's true. Uh, Daniel Beelins, the director of the McGill Institute for the Study of Canada and uh, professor of political science at McGill, uh, and he joins us now. Daniel, thanks very much for coming on with me. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the invitation. What was your reaction yesterday um, to watching what was transpiring in the afternoon? It uh, it shook all of us, whether we've lived in the States, whether we've traveled in the States, whether we have relatives there. Um, it, it, it absolutely rattled us. How rattled were you watching it? Yes, I, yes, of course, I was shocked. At the same time, I don't think in, in hindsight it's totally surprising in the sense that, um, you know, Trump has been calling into question uh, the results of the election uh, from day one, and uh, he has lied about, um, you know, alleged uh, electoral fraud for, for several months now. And he has, you know, his base is really worked up, and... and you, you can see um, you can see the tension, um, you know, rising, and 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 I think that it's the I'm not I don't know what will happen over the next 13 days, but certainly uh, this is um, uh, this debate is not over, and what happened yesterday is something that um, is truly uh, um, an, uh, an historical moment. The question is to know whether this will have a meaningful impact and will will help. The U.S. move away from this extreme bickering and partisanship, or whether this will actually just continue on after January 20th, when uh, when Joe Biden uh, becomes president. 
Well, that's what I worry about, Daniel. And I think a lot of us look and say there are neighbors, uh, there are supporters. Uh, we're closer to them than any other country. Some people make the UK argument at times because of our uh, our heritage that goes back centuries. But no, there you know there are there are big brothers to the south, and we look and say, yeah, it it, it could become the beginning of something, Daniel, as opposed to the end of something, couldn't it? Yes, absolutely. And uh, you remember, I'm sure, the Tea Party and. And then the Tea Party declined, but led to uh, Trumpism. And what will be after Trumpism? Well, Trumpism is not over, obviously, because Trump uh, will stick around. Uh, well, on social media, if they allow him to, to tweet and post on Facebook after January 20th. But uh, we know he was suspended yesterday, uh, temporarily at mm-hmm. least. But uh, Trump is not going away. And, and that's also uh, a source of concern, because... Many people actually believe that um, there was widespread electoral uh, fraud uh, in uh, in November, and it's simply not true. But the fact that so many people uh, believe in outright lies is, uh, is erodes democracy, and I think that's something that we should be mindful of here in Canada. We are the Canadian democracy is in better shape than U.S. democracy today, but. Some of the tendencies that we see in the U.S., for example, all the, you know the fake news and the fact that so many people believe yeah. in conspiracy theories, this is something that uh, could also erode our democracy. Especially if someday we elect, uh, we have a prime minister or, or major party leaders who actually do like Trump—that is, they spread conspiracy theories and lies in an overt and systematic way. Daniel Bielan joining us from McGill University. I was thinking about that as you're saying it, and we had a very, very close election um, in November of 2019, but nobody disputed the results. Nobody suggested there was, you know, one one member of parliament that was unduly elected or that there was an element of any form of fraud whatsoever. I'd like to think we can keep it that way, but you're right. It's <laughs> like it, it, you know, that that sort of thinking leaks through um, and crosses the border because the Internet has no borders or boundaries or regulations. And it's problematic. It's beyond problematic. Yeah, it's surprising, always surprising to me to see how many people believe, say, Pizzagate, for example, which is a very American conspiracy theory about Hillary Clinton and so forth. And, and how many people in Canada actually, it's a minority, of course, a relatively small minority, but it's still, uh, uh, you know, uh, really ever present in social media uh, uh, here in Canada. Now, something about election results, I think the U.S. has a very complicated system. You know, they don't have the equivalent of Elections Canada. Elections are run by the states, and the rules vary from state to state, and that creates a lot of confusion. And I think our institutions in Canada, having a more centralized federal electoral uh, um, you know, electoral uh, rules and system uh, uh, reduces, I think, the opportunities to to uh, to make such a fuss about uh, election results. It doesn't mean that you know. Uh, sometimes we we need you know we we do recount uh, sometimes in some close uh, races. But you're right that our system, I think, uh, um, has a, a higher level of of legitimacy. People trust more our electoral system in part because it's even across the country. And in the U.S., it's, you know, you, you heard yesterday on the floor of the Senate and the House, people talking about, yeah, Pennsylvania cannot do this and that and Georgia. And, and they refer to, you know, there are 50 different states and the rules vary so much that it's very confusing for people. And this confusion, I think, helps people like Trump 
to cast a, a yeah. shadow on uh, uh, the electoral system and to call into question the results. Do you think Trump has a political future? He'd be 78 and a half years old running for a presidential election, running for the Republican nomination uh, leading up to the 2024 election. What do you think happens? I, you never know with Trump. <laughs> um, but the thing with Trump is that I'm not sure he will. He might try to get the nomination again if he's still alive and, and, and in good shape, uh, if he's able to, to actually run. We don't know what will happen in four years from now. Uh, he doesn't seem to be the most, uh, you know, uh, healthy uh, person, but um, you know, if he does run, uh, I think it's a nightmare scenario for for many Republicans, the moderate Republicans at least, because really Trump took over the Republican Party. I mean, he's not someone who, you know, was strongly associated with the Republican Party uh, before he actually, you know, he ran. Uh, uh, in 2015, and it's someone who, who basically took mm-hmm. the party over from the outside. And, and that's why you have people like uh, members of the Lincoln Project and re- Republicans who basically, you know, oppose uh, uh, Trump. Um, so a, a possibility, too, is that if he doesn't, if he tries say, to get the nomination and doesn't get it, he could run as an independent. And that would be a nightmare scenario for Republicans. Holy cow. If he does like Ross Perot did in 1992, that, that will mean giving the, the presidency uh, uh, a second turn to Joe Biden or maybe Kamala Harris if she, she's the one running. Um, but, but, you know, uh, yeah. I think that Trump is, is not going, uh, uh, he, won't, he, won't, he won't disappear. You cannot really silence him, because even if he's, he cannot be on Twitter anymore, uh, or they suspend him, you know, there is Brian Bart, and you have all sorts of alternative media in the U.S. that will, that will propagate his message. So I think uh, he's, he, will keep, he might keep hurting American democracy for, for in the months and years to come. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to see uh, any other way around that. I really appreciate you coming on, Daniel. Thanks very much, and, and have a great day. Thanks for your expertise. Thanks for your invitation. Have a great day, too. You got it. Uh, Daniel Beeland, uh, director of the McGill Institute for the Study of Canada, uh, professor of political science at McGill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I didn't realize I hadn't eaten last night until about 940, you know, threw some chicken strips in the oven. Like, it, it was just one of those days. And it, it wasn't a good feeling, but you get compelled. You know, usually I want that to happen on an NFL Sunday or I want that to happen when there's the Olympics are on, right, or the World Cup of soccer. And you're like, I know I, I'm just making a crease in this couch. But I did that yesterday watching what happened on Capitol Hill. And I keep it's a dangerous game, by the way, to keep glancing up at CNN and they keep showing recycling footage. and you go, oh, they're back. No, they no, they're not. They're not back, but they're just re-showing footage from yesterday uh, over and over again. I mentioned it, um, and and we'll cover both these issues next with Alan Carter, but a possible domino effect coming here. The medical officer of health for the Windsor-Essex County Health Unit says all area schools are going to be closed. Kids are going to learn remotely until at least January 25th. I hope you got that curbside laptop from Staples or Best Buy. I hope you did just that. Uh, You will need it uh, because that extra kid is staying home in elementary school. So, Look, does the province follow this lead? I don't know what the option is beyond the uh, the obvious. We've got a record number of cases. People are going to certainly viscerally react to the 89 deaths today, 89 deaths. Uh, and the number we saw early from Hamilton, by the way, uh, is 146. So we'll see. All right. I want to start with what he saw yesterday and how they put it all together. We had his uh, co-anchor uh, Far Nasser on. So, you know, equal time. Okay. 
We white males deserve equal time on this planet. That's me saying that, not him. I don't want to get him in trouble. Uh, host of the Alan Carter Radio Program on Global News Radio 640 Toronto, noon to one. So that option's there for you. And, of course, Global News anchor, of course, at the 6 o'clock news, along with Farah Alan Carter joins me now. You like making a crease in that in that couch. I know that. How how was it yesterday for you watching what was transpiring? And um, it shakes you up a little bit. Really, like we're supposed to be impartial to all this stuff. How does it not shake us up, right? Yeah, you know, you make a great point. You know, it's weird to this. There's a sort of dual sort of thinking about it. There's the, the professional thinking of, you know, the anchor. We were on live as much of it was actually happening last night. You know, so there's there's that part of it, just trying to juggle all of the logistics and, you know, don't say something stupid on the air and you know, all the rest of the things <laughs> that you worry about just in the day to day. And then, of course, I, you know, I, I finally get home. And I think that that was when later in the evening when I got home and the significance of it really kind of hit me like a truck, you know, that, and I think I'm still grappling with it, the significance of what we saw yesterday. And also, Greg, this is the thing that has already happened and you're watching it now is that there is this, this narrative coming out of the United States that somehow that these were Antifa um, uh protesters dressed up in Trump here and that this was not actually what you saw. And that is already gaining purchase. And it's just so concerning because what we saw yesterday, it's not over. It's not done. And even though, you know, the the violence is over for now, I I fear for what's coming. You're right about the the bad information. And and to me, you know, I've always been really interested in conspiracy theories. I really have. And, And you'd go somewhere uh, e- even, you know, to a party or something and you'd be like, okay, that, you know, you, you walk home, go, drive home with your wife and you're like, okay, that person believes in aliens or that person believes, um, you know, um, Lee Harvey Oswald was killed by, or uh, John Kennedy was killed by the Russians. And you're like, it doesn't really affect me. Uh, you know, I can go home, close my door and I can have my own conspiracy theories. But the conspiracy theories now, Alan, with regard to vaccines, with regard to elections, with regard to trust of public, they affect all of it. Conspiracy theories about the environment, where we live and what's happening to our planet. There are conspiracy theories about information there, and it impacts all of us. We can't just close our door to it anymore. No, and it's it's so concerning. I mean, it, you know, it's not a terribly new thing, but this whole whole you know thing about there's no agreed upon set of facts. You know, you know, I used to cover courts a lot for my job here at Global. You know, you'd, you'd get the agreed upon statement of facts at the beginning of uh, each court uh, case where, you know, both the prosecution and the defense would agree, OK, these are the things we agree actually happened. And in society now, we don't have that anymore. We don't have anymore an agreed upon set of facts like we all we see on our television screens and our mobile devices what happened and the violence and we saw the battle flag of the confederacy inside the rotunda of the capitol building and yet we don't have an agreed statement of facts no set of facts that we can all agree on even though we all watch the same thing Alan Carter's our guest, global news anchor. Um, you'll can see him at six o'clock tonight on your television. Uh, does the noon radio show, of course, on Global News Radio six forty Toronto. When you wake up this morning, as I did, and, and you get ready for your day of work and my day of work, so you see that that Congress, you know, cemented this at around three in the morning, and that Biden and Harris will be duly elected, and then you see a statement from Trump. Um, 
But I I don't know why everyone is convinced, well, thank God that's over. That's the end of that. I, I don't feel that strongly about it. And I'm not trying to influence whether you feel strongly about it, but I'm just like, you've been watching the last four years, as have I. Why is this the end of this as opposed to the beginning of something? Well, I, I just don't. You know, I, there's just no climb down from it. It's, it, it, it. You can't put Humpty Dumpty back together just quite that simply. Uh, and the task for Joe Biden as he you know, becomes president is going to be enormous. I mean, how do you put together a country that lives with two different narratives? And although there were only thousands, perhaps, outside of the Capitol building and only perhaps hundreds, I'm not certain on the numbers, that actually breached the actual building, you can be certain that across the United States, there are many, many who were cheering on, if not the act of vandalism, the the motivation behind it. And certainly there is in the United States. And I think it's, I think it's important that we understand it, not only from the United States point of view, but also in our own society, that we have to be able to understand what it is that is motivating people to do this kind of thing. And if we don't, and if we just go full bunch of yahoos and call them a mob and all the rest of it, don't even try and understand, it's only going to get worse. And if you think, Greg, if you think that this is just something that's happened south of the 49th parallel, you are dreaming. Yeah, I, I want to get there with that. I, I think the the concept of, you know, the fact that they were, you know, potentially going to do something and it might be violent and that people have been calling openly for, you know, uh, uh, let's attack the Capitol building on on the Internet. It, it's one thing to attempt it, but the lack of security, the lack of police presence, the lack of I, I mentioned it earlier, like you could see, um, I don't know, the L.A. Dodgers trying to win another NL West title and there will be police horses all the way up and down the third baseline and the first baseline while the game's going on so people don't run on the field. There's more presence at Major League Baseball games when the team's about to clinch than there was protecting congressmen and congresswomen and senators yesterday, Alan. Yeah, you know what? I mean, you talk about conspiracy theories. Here's the one that I'm watching for, and I think there's going to be a full investigation. We're already seeing now that, you know, D.C. police are saying that the federal authorities let them down and is it possible that, that there was some kind of, within the administration, there's no evidence of this, but is there some kind, was there a pullback in federal forces? Where were the federal forces? I mean, it is just glaring to look at the pictures of what was going on on the steps of the congressional building when it was a Black Lives Matter protest. When there was yeah. a phalanx of federal uh, troops and you know riot gear and all they got all the shiny weapons out there on the streets. And what happens when we know in advance that there's going to be a group of Trump supporters, in fact, encouraged by the president, egged on by the president, sent down the street from where he held the rally, go up there to the Capitol building, and there's no police presence? How does that add up? How does it add up? How does it add up? Uh, let's localize this. I mentioned uh, schools. Um, I know, you know, you're a parent. I'm a parent. Lots of parents listening. Uh, I worry about the sanity of your producer uh, who has four kids. Sometimes I think, you know, the way she talks, she must have seven. It sounds really stressful. But either way, um, the idea of keeping elementary school kids home on Monday, I mentioned and you might have heard off the top. Windsor Essex has I wouldn't say they've gone rogue because they closed their schools at Christmas time. 
regardless, they're like, we're not waiting for the province. Our cases are out of control. Our positivity rates are out of control. They did asymptomatic testing. Um, is this a little bit of a domino effect for the rest of at least southern Ontario that none of us will have an elementary school kid in class on Monday? You know, I, I wish I could. I, I wish I knew. Uh, and you know what I wish more? is that we didn't live in a province where, you know, the, our bumper sticker was, uh, welcome to Ontario, stand by for an announcement. <laughs> Just, like, again and again and again. <clears throat> what did we ask Ford yesterday when finally the Dofo show returned to the airwaves after a uh, hiatus from uh, December 20th where he didn't answer any questions? Took a couple of questions yesterday. And, and what did we find out? We found out when asked, we asked about, would you consider a curfew like that has been imposed now in Quebec? He said, yeah, I'm going to talk to the medical officer of health. I'll get back to you. When we was asked, are you thinking of extending the closure of in-person learning for kids considering the case counts and the positivity rate? He's like, that's a good question. I'm going to talk to Dr. Williams and I'll get back to you. And so what we know is going to happen is going to be a cabinet meeting on Friday and Friday afternoon, he's going to wander out make some kind of announcement and maybe schools will be closed maybe they won't they didn't close them in quebec maybe it'll be a curfew maybe it mm -hmm. won't but why do we have to wait till friday afternoon for this why is it this province is constantly one step behind welcome to ontario hang on we'll get to it in a second a lot of people noticed and many announcements about announcements those are key when you get an announcement about an announcement it's best to get that out uh that never happened in high school you listen to the announcements They'd be actual announcements. Strange how that works. I kind of feel like I'm still in high school, really. I can't find my locker. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, there's some big kids outside by Smoker's Corner waiting to beat me up on the way home from school. That's the way I feel every day. It's funny, though, because, you know, with schools, it was I, I thought a lot of people found it rich yesterday because, again, and some of the legitimate legitimate arguments and, and complaints that, Doug Ford has had about the federal government, about Health Canada, about the health minister. Um, he's been accurate about, you know, he was knocking on the door and he said, we want information about vaccines. We want it now. How many do we get? When do we get it? It's And he mentioned that yesterday. He's like, yeah, I can't tell you how difficult it is to work on such short notice. We only find out 24, 48 hours when we're getting a vaccine shipment. And parents of school age kids are like, yes. Yes, exactly that. Notice. All we want is notice. We don't want to hear Friday at 3 p.m. Hey, like we said, you're all online for the next three weeks because, again, there's the stores are closed. There's, no, you know, getting health care established, making sure that, uh, that you know, grandma doesn't visit the kids like that kind of stuff. We're waiting for things and we got to act quickly. Yeah, it's just this constant. I just I describe it as a merry-go-round. You know, people talk about the um, the pandemic being like a Groundhog Day, and I disagree. I, what what I think it is is it's more like a, being on a carousel. You know, you get on the big brown stallion, and the thing goes up. And it goes down, and it goes round and round, and that's where we are. We go up, and it's like, oh, vaccines are here, we, and then we go down because you know we got a, you know, not again, another record number today, case numbers record, death number record. That's a down low, and then we go round and round. But you see the same thing over and over again. What do we see? We see uh, the doctors and 
you know, the specialists who are not on the health table, not within the system, calling on the Ford government, do something, do something, yeah. do something, do something. And then we come around on the big brown stallion one more time and Ford does something. But, you know, it's maybe a half measure or, you know, this criticism about it. And, we, and then we go up and down and round and round. And, and here we are just again. And I, I, don't, I think I'm like a lot of people. I'm tired of it. I'm tired. I wish there was a consistent message. I wish that there were, you know, plans in place that I could understand, that rules I could follow. I, but we're, I feel like we're all on our own on this merry-go-round, and I just want to get off. Yeah, we really are. And, and you know, we, we've got shows to do and information to share. And, yes, you know, especially with radio, opinions to give. And, and you know, we're trying to do that the right way. But I get it. You feel it probably when people call your show, when they, when they message you. Um, there's a, you know, like they feel the trust has been breached. And this whole concept, all these politicians, you were fantastic on the radio Monday talking about it, uh, being back. And and this whole do as I say, not as I do thing, this is going to have, a, a, you know, a boomerang effect for months, if not years. With, with uh, And maybe people always think it's been that way, but it is it, it, in the middle of a pandemic. This is the last last time. The last thing you should be doing is not echoing, you know, doing exactly what the public has to do and not sneaking out the back door and and leaving a bunch of tweets where you're buying maple syrup or sitting by the Christmas tree drinking eggnog. You can't do it anymore. Well, it, and, and that thing just reinforces something else I talk a lot about, which is, is that the pandemic does not apply equally. There are two pandemics. There's the pandemic that applies to, you know, those that are frontline workers, um, you know, people who are, you know, not well off, that are making average or above average wage. What was the average number that came out just this week? Something like individual number was fifty four thousand, I think, Canadian mm-hmm. Canada wide. I think if if I remember correctly. So if you know if you're you know if you're making that kind of cake, well then you know you're probably you know you might be taking transit. You're you certainly probably got to work. You probably don't have the kind of space to be able to work at home with your family all around you. You know, but then the other side of the pandemic is those who are wealthy and those people are able to work from home. They've got more money in the bank because they're not spending money on other stuff that they normally would. They got more time with family. And then they decide, well, what they think they should really do is spend some of that cash and get away to the tropics because, you know, the great unwashed can't travel this year. So it's going to be sweet because, you know, the the hoi polloi aren't going to be at the swim up bar. So it's going to be great. And what it is is a pandemic is two pandemics, mm. one that's been good for the rich and one that's been horrible and deadly for the poor. Yeah, it's true. We, we got to find a way to bridge those gaps and, and meet more in the middle. A lot a lot of people are asking for things and some, you know, some they're overreaching, but some are really legitimate. And we got to fix some things, whether we have another pandemic in our lifetime or not. There's things that got to be fixed and, and they have there's been a searing white hot spotlight put on those particular things. Hey, thanks for doing this for me, Alan. Uh, love it as always. Uh, your show noon today on uh, on our friends on 640 Toronto and uh, on television tonight. Thanks for this, man. Mr. Brady, you're an attractive man, and I don't say that lightly, and I appreciate being on. Thank you. <laughs> few do. Few do uh, in this day and age. Uh, that's not fake news. I'll, I'll tell you that. Uh, although, again, if the gyms don't reopen, uh, anything could happen oh. over the next... Everything's on the table. That's the problem, Alan. I've been eating everything on the table in the last four months since the gyms have been closed. <laughs> you know what's on the Very table? Very problematic. My gut. My gut is now actually I know. On that's... The table. 
Yeah, and uh, wearing crop tops is not helping when I sit down at those uh, at those kitchen tables. Oh. I got to cut that out. It's a it's a visual, but you work in a visual medium. You are well oh. aware uh, yeah. of how that can Without happen. The camera, the camera, oh, the the camera doesn't add ten pounds for you. Just two or three, but there's only one camera on you. I want to point that out. Okay, Alan Carter joining us on uh, Global News Radio six forty Toronto. The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on nine hundred CHML. Hey, it's Craig Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. And I'll be back with another one tomorrow.